here's the deal. We, um, we're starting a new series, and it's going to take us through August and into September. And um, one thing that I hate is uh, when people start to talk about church and Christianity, and they say, oh, I don't want to be a part of church, or I don't want to be a part of this thing, because church is full of so many rules. And I always kind of bounce back, and I say, uh, it's, it's, there are ways that God instructs that we live. I wouldn't call it rules. Uh, it's ways that he instructs us to live but it's not all this rules and red tape and hassle. Christianity is very simple. Uh, I think when, it's funny, I said it like this when we were putting together this series. Christianity is the most complex, simple thing you'll ever know, know or be a part of. I mean, there's days that your mind is blown and the scripture talks about all the mysteries of God and all these things that you'll, you'll never get and understand. But at the end of the day, God has made it very approachable, very, uh, very simple um, in the ways that we approach God. And I think sometimes religion or our upbringing is kind of what's made it complicated. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at what it means to be a Christ follower and the simple steps that God has put in place in order for us to come to him. And so um, one thing, again, along these lines are people always say church is so full of rules. And you look at Genesis, the very beginning, when God said to Adam and Eve, you may eat of every tree in this garden, but don't eat that one, because if you eat that one, trouble and surely die, and all these things will take place, it said. Okay, so everybody would say, well, you know, look at that, that God, he made rules. And so when the garden, when the snake came into the garden, when the enemy came in the garden, he said, has God really said you can't eat of that tree? But the way that God said it, and you've heard me use this example before, was this. If you were house-sitting for somebody, and you said, that person said, hey, uh, you know, you can eat whatever you want. You know, we got food here and you can eat whatever you want, da, 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 uh, whatever you want in the fridge. You know, we got some snacks and juice and whatever. But whatever you do, don't drink that bottle, you know, don't, don't, don't drink or eat of that, that cyanide, that poison that I have in there. Because if you do that, it's not going to be good. Would that be me being some hateful, controlling person? No, that would be me watching out for the better half of that person. And that was God's design. Anytime he gives us an instruction, it says, hey, I created this world. I know how it functions. I know how things are put in order. So when God gives us a command like don't love money or don't eat of that tree, when he gives us these instructions, which a lot of people have called rules, it's not like, oh, this controlling God is so evil. Say, no, it's better for you if you don't do those things. It's best if you do these things. Amen? So... It's the same thing with this simple concept. Uh, God puts things in order, in order for us to live the best kind of life. And so um, I want to take maybe just the next 20 minutes. I know we spent a lot of time on some other stuff. So we'll stop and uh, just pick up next week uh, when we have to. But I want to take a look at one of the most simple ideas that really blew my mind when I first heard it. I was at a conference uh, about 11 years ago. And uh, I heard this speaker talking on this topic. And me being a church kid, I never heard anything taught this way. And so I was able to connect with the speaker and, and kind of get some more insight into it. And so I really studied the whole process out a lot more. And uh, I could share some books with you if you're more interested on it. But this whole idea really blows the mind of what you know about church and Jesus and being a disciple. And so I want to give you the process of becoming a disciple in Jesus' day because we're all called to be Christ followers or disciples. And so here's the process of what it took to be a disciple. And so to start, we got to start back at the beginning. So everyone who lived at Jesus' time, a good Jewish young boy, uh, was raised uh, to be a learner or an observer of the Torah. So the Torah. And the Torah was the first five books of the Bible. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so Jesus grew up in a community that believed the Torah is the word of God, the words of God. So this is, of course, before New Testament, because Christ hadn't, you know, all of that hadn't taken place. So this is Old Testament Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so when a rabbi, a teacher of the Bible, would be uh, walking or ministering would be the word that we'd say, but traveling, when he would refer to the Torah, they believed it, and they even called it the way, the truth, and the life. And, uh, and so the way, they would always say about the Torah, the way, the way to live. Just like I mentioned a minute ago, uh, the best way to live, they believed, would be if you followed the Torah. You lived the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so what was interesting about uh, these young kids is that rabbis didn't begin to teach the Torah until kids were over six years of age. And what's really interesting about it is Torah was first taught uh, in, the, in the instructions about how to live was taught by the parents before the first age of six. Uh, I, I hope uh, that as parents, we're following in that same trend. I hope that we're the first ones leaving an impression on our kids before we send them off to Christian school or the next thing. Somebody say amen. Uh, I think they should learn it from us before they learn it from some other institution or organization. That's a good place to say amen. You can say amen. <laughs> so during the day, once they were six years old, the kids would go down to the synagogue or like the local church because there was a Torah teacher there. And this is awesome. At age six, the first thing they would do is for the first time in a child's life, they would take honey and they would take scripture or the Torah and they would give them honey for the first time. So you got to imagine for these kids, it's like the first time having candy, the first, you know, it's like, here you go, whatever. So these kids would be, oh my gosh, this honey, it's amazing. Why have my parents been holding out on me, you know? Uh, this, and then the Torah teacher would say, may the words of God, may the teachings of the Torah, may they be like, word, may the words be like honey on your lips. And so these kids have this experience of, oh, this is amazing. This is so valuable, this thing. And they're saying, when you read scripture, when you talk of Torah, when you talk of the way of God, uh, may it be that same thing. And so just love that analogy there. And so their goal as a believer uh, was to die speaking the Torah. And if you read through Old Testament and different things about the prophets and the way that they died, they would die just, you know, quoting and, and, and living out scripture. Um, it's funny a lot of times, some of you may have had this experience, when a loved one passes away, some of your best memories, and you may have had this encounter, uh, is, is you're with a loved one who's maybe, and you just kind of know it's towards the end, uh, a lot of times what will happen is you'll read, uh, you'll read favorite scriptures or you'll sing out favorite hymns. How many have ever had an experience like that with somebody? Nobody? Okay. Uh, I have, but okay. Uh, but so you go through these valuable moments. It's interesting how, like, I think on the inside, there's a part of everybody who just who kind of falls back uh, to some of that. And so, so from age 6 to 10, and this is going to be a little instructional, and, uh, but I want you to catch this because it's really cool. So from age 6 to 10 was the first stage of learning the Torah, and it was called Bet Sefer, uh, Bet Sefer. And by age 10, you had the entire Torah memorized. So the first five books of the Bible, by the time they were age 10, they had the first five books of the Bible memorized. What's interesting about that is the printing press wasn't invented until uh, 1427, which means the idea of multiple copies is not very old. And so the way that it worked was they had one copy of the Torah, and it was all penned out you know, or burned out uh, into a scroll, and they kept it in the synagogue. And so it was called the Torah scroll. And uh, it was kept back in the synagogue. And the way that it was work is you would go down for the Torah reading, and it was this big celebration. 
And so they would, they would go because they all couldn't have a Torah, and so they would go down and they would take it out, and there would be celebration and dancing and leaping and excitement for this idea of being able to read the words of God or the scripture or the way. Uh, isn't it interesting now how we all have a copy and it gets dusty and it's left behind? It's just crazy. And uh, so again, I encourage you, get the Version app, set up your reading plan, get all that stuff going um, because it's valuable. And so age 10... Uh, they had it memorized, but they didn't have their own copy. So it's not like, hey, kid, go to your room and memorize your thing. It all came over time as collectively as a community. They got together and read the Torah. These kids begin to memorize it and be taught it. And you go, oh, there is no way that I could memorize the first five books of the Bible. There is no way. It's humanly impossible to learn all of that. But I bet you we could spend hours in here quoting movie lines back and forth to each other, right? <laughs> And I love movies. I mean, I'm not, I'd, I'd be the first one keeping up with you. Uh, or if, DJ, if I said to Doug right now, hey, put on a song, a contemporary, how many songs do we know every single line upon line? If you took every song that you knew and broke it up in chapter and verse, just like the, you would be well beyond five books of the Bible or the Torah. And so I think it's interesting just where we put our priority. And so the way that it worked was they went through Beth Sefer, and at age 10, this was the first age range that you could drop out, uh, where, you would, where you would stop. The way that it worked is it worked like our sports. And so you would, you would make the high school team, and then if you were good enough, uh, you would go on to the college team, but some didn't make it. Some didn't advance past that. And then uh, if you were good enough in college, you made your way to the pros. And uh, if you were good enough in the pros, you made the all-star. Good enough in the all-star, you hopefully made it to a hall of fame. And so not every young Jewish boy advanced in every stage. And so at age 10, if the rabbi thought, hey, this kid, you know, he's really got it, he's getting it, um, he's going to be able to be a rabbi and carry on the word, uh, we're going to advance him. And so the next stage uh, was from age 10 to 15, and it was called Bet Talmud. But what was interesting was if you didn't make the cut, the rabbi would say, uh, hey, why don't you go back to your family trade? And so they would be a fisherman or they would, you know, they'd work the olive press or make wine or do whatever, sandal maker, carpenter, whatever. And, uh, and so essentially they, they would be rejected back to the family business. And so Bet Talmud from 10 to 15, they begin to memorize the rest of the scripture. So the entire Old Testament. So Genesis through Malachi, they would memorize from age 10 to 15. They'd have it all memorized. And then they'd also learn this idea of question and answer. And so what they would do is, and you can read it in the scripture a lot of times where, so let's say I would say to Travis, uh, uh, has it been said that the Messiah, and instead of answering, he would take another verse that he had memorized that backed up what I said, and, you, and we'd go back and forth in question and answer, and they would answer through scripture and through scripture. What's interesting in Luke 2.46, it says this, uh, now so it was after three days they found him, speaking of Jesus when he was young, in the temple, sitting in the midst of his teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. So even Jesus followed this model as a young kid, uh, got into a way where he was back and forth uh, talking and question and answer. And it was just part of how they valued scripture. And a lot of times for us, our human nature, because we don't have scripture memorized, we have an issue. And instead of being able to go from scripture to scripture, we call up crazy whoever, oh my gosh, I got this thing. And we get their terrible advice. Then we take their terrible advice and add it to somebody else's terrible advice. And uh, if we were lived in a place that, that we had a foundation of the word, we'd be able to go from scripture to scripture and navigate, just like the word says, 
that the scripture of God is he's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. If, if we lived in that way, I think we wouldn't have uh, so many obstacles or issues that way. Uh, amen? So the rabbi's interpretation, check this out. This is awesome. So they would learn the entire Old Testament, and now they're about age 15. And so a rabbi at this point is really starting to say, I want my ministry or my interpretation of the Torah. So basically his ministry style, he wants it to advance. He wants it to live on. He wants it to, to go into all these new nations. You know, he's, uh, he's spreading the word of God. And so uh, he's raising up people to go do this. And so uh, he was very cautious, or he kept his eye on, hey, does that kid have what it takes to do this? Do they, uh, do they have our DNA? Do they, does he have our, our values, our core? And, uh, and so his, what's interesting about this is his interpretation of the Torah or his ministry philosophy or style was called his yoke. So he would think about these kids, hey, can this kid carry my yoke? And it was very intense because they kept dropping kids out. What's interesting about that, of course, is we know Jesus says in Matthew, his teaching in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven thirty 30, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' way of leading you into what he is doing is always simple. Hey, come, follow me. Come be a part of what I'm doing. I know where you're at, and I know that you're not perfect. And the scripture says, my, gracious, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. My yoke, what he's saying, what I'm doing and what we're called to do here on earth is light. You can handle this. You can do what I'm doing. Come, follow me, be a part of what I'm doing. And so these kids are thinking, oh, the yoke, God's yoke, Jesus' yoke, that's got to be intense. You know, as the word spread about Jesus' ministry and what he was doing, they boy, that guy, I bet that's intense. I'll bet nobody can carry a yoke like, you know, that's, and then all of a sudden he comes and shocks the world and says, hey, my yoke is easy. And then he's calling disciples that are like tax collectors and all of these other, wait a second, he's gathering the, and so just this awesome thing. And so we'll, we'll keep reading here, but he's starting to lay out it's simple. You can come to Christ right where you are. Just, just right where you are, you can come to him. Uh, I love this thought, and I'm going to get a little controversial with you, and, um, and then you can go gossip about me. So if I did something wrong, then you're going to gossip. We'll both be wrong. Two wrongs make a right, right? No. Luke chapter 10, verse 39. For the sake of speed and content, we didn't do scriptures up there today, but Luke 10, 39. Uh, it said, speaking of Martha, it said, And she said, A sister called Mary, who was also at Jesus' feet, and heard his word. Uh, verse 40. This is really what we'll talk about. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. So she's doing like the housekeeping, the cleanup, because Jesus was at their house and doing ministry. And so she goes to them and says, hey, my sister's not pulling her weight here. And in verse 40, 41, Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, uh, you are worried and troubled about many things. Verse 42, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, that which will not be taken away from her. So that means nothing to you right now, but let me explain it like this. Here's how it would work. When you would advance through all the stages and the rabbi would say, yeah, come to the next stage after Bet Sefer, the next thing, the next thing. When you got to the best of the best, finally you got to an age where you had to choose your rabbi. Okay, that guy, I, I can carry a, a yoke. Like, I can be like that. I can carry that on. So what you would do is as that rabbi was teaching, 
you would go and sit at his feet, giving a symbol or a sign that you would say, hey, I want to do this. I fully want to take on your yoke and be a follower of what you're doing. And so they would go and sit at his feet. And then the rabbi then would make a decision. Does this person have what it takes to follow me and do what I'm doing? Or I'm going to tell them, go back to your family business, go back to your trade. And so what's interesting about this scripture is here's a woman who the scripture says, the scripture says right here in verse 40, uh, uh, verse 42, it talks about how Mary was what? Sitting at the feet of Jesus while he was teaching. And Martha comes out and says, hey, what, what is all this nonsense? What does she think she's doing? She's sitting at your feet as if to make a sign that she wants to do what you're doing, do ministry. That's crazy. A woman do ministry? I think that's insane. And so Jesus answers by saying, hey, uh, Mary has chosen a good part, which will not, not be taking away from her. Essentially giving permission to say, you know what? Women, I'm getting, here we go. You ready? I'm going to say it. Women can do ministry. Somebody say amen. Uh, and obviously there's all kinds of stuff that goes with it and wise counsel and all this stuff, just like any other man. Uh, but Jesus is even saying here about her, you know what? It's good. It's good for women to do ministry and be involved in the things of God and be a Christ follower. Uh, I think there's some old traditions out there that uh, you, you, know, you keep quiet and you don't do anything. And I was actually talking about this yesterday in the car. Uh, I can't imagine... <laughs> in the world of what we believe in and inequality and all these kinds of things, I can't believe that there was actually even a faction that said, like, women can't help other people. I'm thinking about this church. Like, how crazy would it be if I couldn't access or connect with or pull on other women to help in areas that we need help? There's just gifts that they have that we don't have. Somebody say amen. I know you guys are swimming in real talk right now, but I'm just, I'm okay with it. I'm comfortable. Uh, So just let's, Thank God for women. Somebody say amen. So check this out. Uh, Just a couple more minutes here. So here's what they would do. They would raise him up and they would say, this kid, I believe he's got it. So this kid, Travis, he's gone through all the stages, the best of the best. He's made it. I believe he can do it. Um, a, A typical rabbi would say he could carry my yoke. He's good enough. And so Travis would come sit at my feet and he would say, and then the, the, the rabbi would say, you know what? He's good enough. And he would respond back to him, and he would say, Lek Aharai, Lek Aharai. And then he would be chosen to go follow. And what's very interesting about that phrase is we have another scripture, and I'll close up with this. Uh, we have another scripture in Matthew 4, 8 that will kind of blow your mind. Matthew four eighteen it says this, And Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers called Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. If they were fishermen, that means that they were doing what? Family business. So at some point, they got rejected or kicked out of class or sent back. Essentially, at some point in their life, they were told, you don't got it. You're not good enough. You can't make it. You're not worthy enough. You can't live up to it. You're not going to make it. Uh, And so verse 18, so they were fishermen. Obviously, the writer here is pointing it out so that we get it. Because how redundant is it? Hey, he saw two brothers, and they were casting net because they were fishermen. <laughs> you know, like he's making it obvious. Hey, they had gone back into family business. And then in verse 19, it says that Jesus said to them, walking along the shore, we all know this. In our Bible, it reads, he walked up to them and said, come follow me. 
which to us we read that and say, oh, he just chose him to be. But what he did was he used the significant language of its time. He walked up to people who were told they're not good enough, and he said, Leka harai. You're good enough. Come follow me. You can carry, you can do this. Even the rejected are good enough to be Christ followers. Somebody say amen. And the thing that's so fascinating about this is Jesus in his time was the best of the best of the rabbi. At this time, cities were following him. Cities were following him. I mean, it would literally be as if you were playing at your local playground basketball. And, and in his day, Michael Jordan walked up and just said, hey, do you want to come join the Bulls? Do you want to? Just the idea of getting chosen to that was just, just crazy. And I can imagine in the town, you know, so here these guys jump out of the boat. They leave the family business. Mom and dad like, where are you guys going? We got to do the fishing. No. What had happened in that day, they were going around going, have you heard our boys? They're, they're following Jesus. They're with, yeah, they were rejected. But now they're following Jesus. This Jesus guy is doing this new thing. And then he would call tax collectors and all these people to himself. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient for you where you are. It's simple. Come to him where you are. The rest you can work out along the way. If you surrender your lives and you submit and you give your life to Christ, the rest he can clean out and work up along the way. Amen? I love this idea. Uh, I'll finish up with this. Matthew 4.25, uh, a great story. They believed whatever the rabbi did, I do. And so the teachings of his yoke and all that he did, if my rabbi is doing it, I want to do it. And that's just how they were trained. And so in Matthew 4, 25, we all know this story. It says, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out walking on the sea. This is the whole walking on the water thing. And in verse 26, the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to walk to you on the water. Why? Because he wanted to do what his rabbi did. And I think if we're going to have fruit in our life, if we're going to walk the way that God's called us to walk, if we're going to live the way that God created us to live, we have to be like that. My rabbi, his yoke, if he walked in faith, in trust, in surrender, and his life had significant healings and miracles and generosity, if he did those things, I want to find a way to do those things. I want to position and posture my life to be able to walk in the same things that my rabbi walked in. Somebody say amen. Won't you stand with me? We're going to take just a second uh, to pray before we leave. But if you're in here and everybody's going to bow their heads and close their eyes. If you're in here this morning, and you've never made the decision to be a Christ follower, or maybe you did some years ago, but you've kind of gotten off the path. If you're in here this morning, you say, hey, something has just kind of sparked in my heart, and uh, I need to know, I know that I need to get on that course towards God and being a Christ follower. And, you know, we talk about this idea of following the rabbi or sitting at his feet and, and, and walking in his way. It's simple in a way. It's the most profound, amazing in a way, complicated because of the cross and all the things that took place. But it's simple. Jesus said, Scripture says, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be, but shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, Scripture says you'll be on your way to heaven. You'll find salvation. And so with nobody looking around, if you're in here and that's you this morning, you say, yeah, I need that. I want to be that. 
Um, I'm not gonna call you out of your seat. I'm not gonna embarrass you. We're excited for you. I think it's a great decision, uh, but we're not gonna manipulate anything. We're not gonna get you in a class or anything like that. Um, all I'm gonna ask is that on three, when I count to three, I just want you to slip up your hand so I can see you. Uh, just I myself wanna just acknowledge so that I can pray with you. We're gonna pray, you're gonna stay in your seat. We're all gonna pray together as one. So again, not gonna call you out or embarrass you, uh, but in your heart, I want you to have that moment where you register, I made a prayer that changed my life, that connected me to God. And so if that's you in here with nobody looking around, no matter where you come from or what's your background, today can be a day that God does something new for you. If that's you on three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Anybody in here? Right on. So let's do this. If you're in here this morning and you say, and my heart is to really be that Christ follower, that person who, no matter what God calls me to, I'm following him. I'm following my rabbi. Uh, they actually, when, when a young boy would leave to follow his rabbi, they would say to him, may the dust of your rabbi be on the front of your cloak. It was like a well wish that they would say, is like, hey, go get that dust on the front of your cloak. Uh, why? Because they were saying, go follow him so close that as he walks, the dust that he kicks up, I hope that that's our prayer, is that we're just following Christ so close that some of what he's done and doing is just always a part of our life. Favor and prosperity and wellness and wholeness, all those things, peace and grace, compassion. I hope all that stuff gets on us as we follow closely. So let's just all pray together that, that God pulls us into that and stirs us into that. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Lord, as Christ followers, we we love the idea that you've made it simple to follow you. God, there's complications and there's crooked roads and there's peaks and valleys along the way. But the idea of keeping our eyes on you is simple because you've made the way, you've paved the way, you sent your son to build a bridge. And Lord, we just thank you that this morning, our hearts towards you are to be followers, are to be connected to you. Lord, the things of you, we want to be a part of our life. So Lord, strengthen us in that, encourage us in that. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.